Good morning. How's everybody? Hey, if you have your Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. We're kind of walking verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah. Another thing I want to mention to you, and it'll kind of come out as we talk about this morning, um, but one of, the, one of the conversations I've had two or three times this week is this. As we've been reading through the Bible, right, and some of you have been doing that, and some of you uh, have, have, been, um, have been commenting on that and, and talking about that, and, and one, of the, one of the comments that I've received is, what do you do with all of the detail in the Old Testament? There's a lot of detail. This being placed here and all the weights of things and the measurements of things and all of the, you know, all, all of the things there. And, and, and so I want to I give you two things. Number one, every time that I read about the elaborate detail of the temple, about the elaborate detail of ceremonial Washington, washings and Washingtons, washings, okay? Uh, <laughs> there may be something there, but we're not going to explore that right now. Uh, but as I, as I read that, I'm so thankful for Jesus. It reminds me that we don't have to do that anymore. That a high priest does not have to go before God any longer on my behalf in a temple that is carefully constructed and all of that. I am the temple. And He lives in me. And so as you read that, I pray that it stirs in you such gratitude. Thanks be to God that you sent Jesus. Another phrase you've probably read if, if you've been reading through it. And that, again, I just want to help you. I thought about going Facebook Live with this, but half of you don't even have Facebook, and so just what would be the point? Um, so I just figured we'll take a couple minutes here. You read a lot of shall nots, right, in the Old Testament. You shall not do this. You shall not do this. If you do this, you shall surely be put to death, right? There's the whole lying with an animal thing. and the, You know, anyway, right? Kind of some crazy stuff right? Again, again, not that the law is pointless. Let's remember that, okay? It's like, it's like um, you, you know, as, as, a, as a parent, if you, if, you, if you don't have rules, right, if you don't have regulations, what happens? I heard chaos, and that was the thought I was thinking, right? They even make movies about that, right? I don't know if you've heard about the movie Yes Day, right? But, if, you know, if you have a Yes Day, what ends up happening? Everything falls apart, right? And so it's not that Jesus came and we don't have any more boundaries. We don't have any more. But Jesus, Jesus came not to abolish the law, but really to fulfill it, right? And so as we read that, right, it is now conviction, right? And, and so I'm not going to talk about the law today, but I am just going to say, like, again, thanks be to God that some of those things are free. Like, we can wear more than one material on our bodies today. So if you've got, like, a, a, a heavy something and denim, it's okay, because in the Old Testament, it forbids that, right? But Jesus came and set us free from that, right? But you should still honor your father and mother, right? Some of those things are still binding, right? You still shouldn't murder, right? Some of those things are still binding, okay? And so does that make sense? But, but again, both, in both of those things, thanks be to God that he sent Jesus. And as I've been thinking about this all week, um, I've been thinking about this, that it, it's the hope of Christ, right? Look at your neighbor and say, it's the hope of Christ, 
It's the hope of Jesus, right? And that is the reason that we gather, and that is the thing that separates us from any other religion, that we have hope in Jesus who set us free. It's for freedom that he set us free. And so as you read through, I pray that that might encourage you, that might bless you, that might help you a little bit. Because I'll be honest with you, you haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. Leviticus is coming. <laughs> Leviticus is coming. All right, so let's dive into Nehemiah 3. So this morning from Nehemiah 3, we're going to be talking about, and this is titled, Working Well with Others. So let's take a poll. Can we do a poll? It's a safe place. Nobody's going to be looking around, just me, okay, right? How many of you would, would say, how many of you would say, just beyond the shadow of a doubt, I am awesome at working well with others? Okay, I see those, not as many of you as I would have thought. Thank you for your honesty. How many of you would say, it drives me up a wall, or I'm terrible at working well with others? Wow. Man, y'all need Jesus. No, uh, anyway. <laughs> Anyway, so let's dive into it, okay? People, people like to hear their name mentioned in a positive way, don't we? Don't you just love that? Don't you just love when you get your name mentioned in a positive way? Well, our text today is a little bit of a difficult chapter, Nehemiah 3, so we're not going to read, uh, we're not going to read the whole thing because it's a little repetitive, but our text today is basically a list of people who achieved some pretty major accomplishments, some pretty major accomplishments, right? And alongside those that achieved those major accomplishments, let's consider them right, the medal winners, right? There were a few who were listed because they never joined the team. And so you see, you see some lists of people today, those that, those that succeeded, those that accomplished some things, and then those that didn't get on board. And, 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 here's, and here's a truth that we've got to come to grips with in a room even like this. There's going to be folks in this room that just jump on board and accomplish some things. And then there are those that just come and spectate and get a little bit excited, but they don't want to get their hands dirty. Right? They love what you're doing. Right? But, they're, but they're still kind of kicking the tires of it. And that's okay. But it's interesting that Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 3, is not mentioned at all. You know why that is? This is my belief. Okay, It was, a, it was confirmed in a couple commentators. But, but anyway, I believe that he doesn't mention himself in chapter 3 at all because he wanted to keep the attention on the others. He wanted to celebrate the work, point out the work, and kind of journal, like who was involved, who wasn't involved, how did we get through it, because next week we're going to talk about opposition, right? So he's documenting this whole thing, but at first glance, we can admit that Nehemiah chapter 3 looks a bit dry. It's a couple lists of names, and they're talking about things, and, and, and not to mention it's names that are pretty hard to understand, pretty hard to pronounce, one commentator refers to Nehemiah chapter 3 as a, color, a colorless memorandum of assignments. A colorless memorandum of assignments. It reads much like the book of 1 Chronicles with its long list of names that are too difficult to pronounce, information that seems redundant, and a, chronolo and a chronology that seems meaningless. And it's hard to muddle through. Well, 
Pastor Travis, if that's the truth of Nehemiah chapter 3, then why are we going there this morning? Because Scripture says that all Scripture is meaningful. Right? And so even in this, my prayer, my hope, is that we, is that we see the truth of what Nehemiah is grabbing at, and we can say, oh, I can emulate that. Oh, I can find hope in that. Oh, there's joy in that. Oh, that's going to help me interact with this person because they're exactly like that one in this story. So let me set the context for you, the historical context, in case you've missed the last couple weeks or months as we talked about Ezra and, and all of those things. In 586 BC, just a few years ago, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, uh, the Babylonian army captured the Jews. Jerusalem was destroyed. The walls were knocked down. The temple was burned. And the people were deported and forced into slavery. And Jerusalem was left in ruins. And last week we talked about how, how God had called, really over the last two weeks, God had called Nehemiah to go back home and rebuild the house. And rebuild the house. Why? Because God did not forsake his people. He moved King Cyrus to make a decree to let some of the Jews return. And in three stages, over about a hundred years, they were allowed to migrate back to Jerusalem. Four and a half years to build a building doesn't sound bad, does it? Okay. Only to discover, though, that the city was demolished and desolate. There was nothing. There was nothing. So by the way of review through Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, we learned that he was concerned about the problem of Jerusalem's desolation. He had a conviction about God's character. He confessed his sins. He was confident about God's promises, and he was committed to get involved. And again, last week we journeyed with Nehemiah back to Jerusalem, discovered that as, a, as, as, as contractor, he had about five tools in his toolbox that he was good at waiting patiently, Trusting the Lord and his calling, praying, planning, making testimony to recruit others. Let's look at chapter 3, and we're going to read the first five verses together. Sound good? Awesome. Awesome. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to him, and excuse me, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassani built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hak, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of B, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Benai, repaired. And next to them, Tekoites, repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now, 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 let's pause for just a moment. What does this show us already? Two things. Chapter 3, in, in summary, I'm going to give you the summary and then we're going to talk about it a little bit, okay? In summary, chapter 3 reveals Nehemiah's extraordinary gift of administration and organization. Why? 
Because look at all of these names and the different places that they built, the different gates that they built. We've got, we've got a group working on the sheep gate. We've got a group working on the fish gate. We've got a group repairing this section. We've got a group repairing this section. And, and they're all spread out, organized, repairing their section. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. We see... And Nehemiah's organization and administration servant leadership. He was able, through, we see it in this chapter, to mobilize and empower 44, everybody say 44. 44 separate groups of people for the task of rebuilding the walls. 44 separate groups of people for the task of rebuilding the walls. This, no doubt, came because of his careful assessment of the need during his moonlit mission that we talked about last week in verses 13 through 16 of chapter 2. Second thing we got to point out. This passage, the whole in its entirety, 44 separate groups of people that Nehemiah equipped, trained, and, and released to do the work. There's a lot there, okay? It shows how people working together can accomplish more than if just one person tried to do all the work. People working together can accomplish more than if just one person tried to do all the work. As you, as you, as you read, it, 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 and maybe you're taking a listening break, right? But as you read through chapter 3 sometime, it, it's fascinating to underline every time you see the phrase next to him, next to them, after him, after them. In fact, I'll spoil it for you. These expressions are recorded 28 times in this one chapter. And so the biblical principle is this. Like we talked about last week. Every person, lose your neighbor, say every person, person. is to be involved in ministry. Because every person has a job to do. I talked about it last week. Even if that job is you're sitting here just to love the people around you. Just to love the people right next to you. Just to love the people around you. Say, hey, is this so good to see you? But the, but, but the reality is this, right? And let's, let's be honest for a second, okay? It's hard to find the right job, isn't it? Some of you are doing exactly what you need to be doing, both in your career and in kingdom work. Others of you are struggling to find your right place and all of those things. And it might help you feel better if you hear someone else's job history this morning. Listen to this guy's story. All right? take notes on this. It's, it's, it's fascinating. My first job was working in an orange juice factory, but I got canned because I couldn't concentrate. <laughs> then I worked in the woods as a lumber... Y'all are, y'all are booing, really? <laughs> At church? <laughs> you need to get right. Let me get through it. <laughs> I thought it was great. Then I worked in the woods as a lumberjack, but I just couldn't hack it. So they gave me the axe. After that, I tried to be a tailor, but I just wasn't suited for it, mainly because it was a so-so job. It gets better. Next, I tried working in a muffler factory, but that was exhausting. I wanted to be a barber, but I just couldn't cut it. I attempted to be a deli worker, but anyway, I sliced it. I just couldn't cut the mustard. I studied a long time to become a doctor, but I didn't have any patience. I became a professional fisherman, but discovered that I couldn't live on my net income. Some people are just leaving. That's amazing. (laughs) 
great. I managed to get a good job working for a pool maintenance company, but the work was just too draining. Next, I found being an electrician interesting, Shannon, but the work was shocking. After many years of trying to find steady work, I finally got a job as a historian until I realized that there was no future in it. You're welcome. I heard someone else say one time, I like work. It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it, I can sit and look at it for hours. Right? But let's talk about the purpose of the work here for Nehemiah. They're rebuilding. And, and it was special to Nehemiah. We talked about this last week, right? The calling peace. It was special for Nehemiah because he was rebuilding the place where he grew up. Right? He was rebuilding something that meant a lot to him. So for him to mobilize and to go and to mobilize 44 separate groups of people and to get them working on their area was powerful for him. It had to be just, it had to mean the world to him. He was reviving a place that had meant the world. And so the purpose of the work is simple. It's this, what is built is God's, right? The work that you are doing in life is you are writing God's story that he has already laid out for you at the foundation of your birth. The book of Psalms talks about it. Before, before you were in your mother's womb, God dictated the steps for you. He knew the pain that you were going to be dealing with right now. He knew the bitterness that was going to be tempted in your heart in this moment, in this season that you're trying to overcome. He knew the joys that you were going to be walking in right now. He knew the emotion that you were going to wake up with yesterday morning and the anger that you were going to feel to him for living in Maine. <laughs> he knew that. And guess what, fam? He can take it. Because it's his plan. It's his plan. It's his plan for you. It's his plan for you. Nehemiah was able to build his team around a central rallying point. He was a good leader. Had charisma. He could, he could, he could say, hey, this is the why. Right? And it's easy. It's easy when we talk about, it's easy, when, it's easy to build a team and get them motivated for something if you have a common why. Right? If you, if you, got, if, 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 if you, if you ask our setup team that, they, they get, that gets here early, early on Sunday mornings uh, about why we're building the new building, they're way more passionate about getting into this new building than a lot of folks. Because these things are cold at 7.30 in the morning when they've been sitting in trailers all week. Okay? He pointed them to the purpose of the work. And listen, the glory of God. It wasn't just rebuilding a wall. It was answering the call of God and his plan and his purpose for this region. He pointed them to the purpose of the work. They weren't just working on walls. They were worshiping their worthy God. And the workers were bummed about the conditions of the city and disgraced in the presence of their enemies. Have you, have you ever gone back to a place, and we talked about this last week, right? You've gone back to a place and you see what's become of it. 
right? You see what's become of it, all right? If you go back into that home and, and, and maybe the home has stayed in the family, but you see what they've done with the place and how they decorated the place and they put the couch in the wrong place and the TV is just in a hideous place because that's never, and it's not that it was bad, but it's just not where it was, right? And so they're, they're putting things back in the place that they need to be. It was difficult for them to sing out the truth of Psalm chapter 48, verse 2, which describes Jerusalem as beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, and now it's in ruins. That was their why. They wanted to restore this place to the beauty and its loftiness and the joy of the whole earth. They longed for God's city to regain its splendor and for God to get the credit. And so some of us aren't as frustrated or lost as we think we are. We've just forgotten the why of the thing. We've forgotten the why. The purpose of all of this, all ministry, and really of life itself, is the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10 puts it this way. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, look at your neighbor and say, whatever you do. Whatever you do. Don't pronounce the V. That's, all, that's not. But whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So look back at verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, and they built the sheep gate. His brothers and the priests, and they built the sheep gate. It's another way of saying this, put God first. Because close to the wall's northeast corner, this gate provided easy access to the temple. It was given this name because of all the sheep that entered through it to be sacrificed. And so by beginning here, Nehemiah is establishing that their relationship with God was central. This was the most important place to start. And in Nehemiah's mind, I'm sure it was the only place to start. They had a time of dedication right at the beginning of the construction project. And we must make sure that we're dedicated to God before we begin working for him. This is critical. Don't make the mistake of focusing so much on the work or the tasks that you forget God himself. Because here's the reality. God's not impressed with your labor. He expects it. It's a natural reaction, right? He's not impressed with your labor. He wants your heart. That's why, hear me fam, that's why worship must always precede work. That's why worship must always precede work. So, we talked about the purpose of the work. It's God's. It's for the glory of God. Let's talk about the people and the work. And I want to make five observations about the people and the work. That all right? Uh, there's, there's five things from this chapter that will help each of us work well with others. And judging by the hands we saw earlier, some of you really need this. Number one, first principle is this. Leaders must. Everybody say must. Leaders must set the example. Leaders must set the example. We see this in verse 1. If anybody in the city should have, been busy, should, have, excuse me, should have been busy with the work, it was the priests. Why? Because God's reputation was at stake. The high priest had no hesitation using his consecrated hands to swing a hammer or push a wheelbarrow. This is not to pat myself on the back, but some of you don't know me super, super well, and so here you go. 
I take seriously, as your pastor, my joyful responsibility. Notice how I said that, speaking very carefully here. I take seriously my joyful responsibility to be involved in the work of the ministry here at Summit. I love it. I love it. Some of you know this story. When I first gave my life to full-time ministry at 16, someone told me to get a mentor. So I went into this guy's office one day. Uh, it was on a Wednesday night. It was raining really badly, and my windshield wipers weren't working. I remember the, the night like it was, it was yesterday. It was, it was very intimidating. Um, I, I, okay, moving on. Um, and I went in and I asked that. I was like, hey, uh, uh, I'm supposed to get a mentor. And uh, you remember my name. You remember who I am. I'm not a part of this church, um, but I would like for you to be my mentor. And and he was so excited. He's like, he he was just he was just really excited. He said, Travis, next next Wednesday after school, uh, I want you to come here just right after school, and we'll get started. We'll get started. So I was I was excited. So. Couldn't wait. Couldn't wait for the next Wednesday after school to go to Thad's office and get to work. I thought he was going to teach me how to preach on day one and, you know, all these different things and give me all. And so I walked into his office the next Wednesday. I sat down. I started getting things out. And he said, Travis, I got you something. I was like, great. Can't wait. What you got? I thought it was a new Bible. I thought it was a notebook of his sermons or something like that. You know, I, just, I didn't know how this thing worked. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what he was about to give me. And he reaches, he reaches under his desk and pulls out a toilet brush. A toilet brush. He handed it across the desk to me, handed it across the table to me. And he said, Travis, do you know how many toilets there are in Parkwood Baptist Church? And I started actually trying to count them and think about them. But I was like, well, I've never been in the women's bathroom, so I don't know how many are in there. But um, I, I, I know it. He said, Travis, you've got about two and a half hours before youth tonight. I want you to go around and clean every toilet at Parkwood. Now, I wish I could tell you that I responded like these guys in Nehemiah chapter 3 and just got to the work. Because yes, this makes total sense. I come to you telling you I'm called to ministry. You give me a toilet brush. (laughs) And you send me out into the halls of the church to wash and scrub every toilet. But I thought, this is the dumbest thing. I have picked the wrongest, not a word, I have picked the worst mentor I could have picked. What am I doing? This is some Mr. Miyagi stuff. Wax on wax. I don't, what, what in the world is this teaching me? It was like the conversation I had with my Algebra 2 teacher that same year in 10th grade. Miss Goyette, I don't need Algebra 2. I'm going to be a pastor for the rest of my life. And she said, I'll show you. And she failed me. <laughs> Bless her heart. I passed it. Anyway, more to that story. But two and a half later, two and a half hours later, I go into Thad's office and Thad's like, you know why you did that? And I looked at that and I said, honestly, no, I don't have a clue. And he said, Travis, wherever you go in ministry, whatever you end up doing, even if you never even pursue ministry as a career, remember this, you're never too good to scrub a toilet. You're never too good to scrub a toilet. Don't ever, don't ever think you're above washing the feet of your people. Don't ever think you're above the dirtiest job 
the most thankless job in your church. Don't ever. Don't ever. I was talking with somebody the other day at Sullivan House Bakery, and if you haven't had one of their chocolate chip cookies, let me just tell you something. It's glory. You have to mortgage your house to get it, but it's, it's glory. But I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, they said, uh, they said how, do you, how, do you, how do you describe your, your leadership? And I said, well, here's the deal. Somebody told me years ago that if you're going to be a shepherd, you've got to smell like your sheep. You've got to smell like your sheep. You've got to smell like your sheep. And so I, 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 I try to do that. That's my goal. Now, what does that have to do with you? What Thad was trying to get across to me was this. Travis, the mission is to get people to see the glory of God, the joy, the joy of Jesus, the hope of Christ. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen? And so Summit Family, greater things are still to come. Greater things have yet to be done in this city, are we willing to do whatever it takes to get it done? Are we willing to put comforts aside and, 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 and things that make us feel good and things that we've done for years and years and years because they mean something? Are we willing to swing a hammer? Are we willing to scrub a toilet? Are we willing to give up a seat? Are we willing Leaders must set the example. Number two, let's look at verse eight. Next to them, there's another one, right? One of the, one of the times. Next to them, Uziel, son of Harhiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. You know what this verse shows us? Number two, God uses all kinds of people. I don't know what a perfumer is. I'm thinking of somebody in the middle of Macy's that like sprays the things. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't study that piece of this, right? But we see a perfumer. We see a goldsmith side by side. I imagine them as two very different trades. But God used them both. In the same work. God uses all kinds of people. The Lord didn't need a thousand masons and carpenters to rebuild the wall. He needed ordinary people who were willing to work. People from a wide variety of different backgrounds, trades, histories, localities gathered to work on the wall. The rulers and priests worked together with regular people. Some who even lived in this time, this would have been a big deal. Some who even lived 10, 15 miles away. There was a place for everyone and a job for everyone to do. Third thing, look at verse 5. We've already read this. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Here's the truth. Some people ain't going to work. Right? Some people 
will not work. Having said what we just said, and, and Romans 12 says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Each one of us has different gifts. We're all different parts of the body, but having said that, there is a place for everyone and a job for everyone to do. There will always be those who refuse to exert themselves. There will always be those who are more consumers than contributors. Most people have worked, but some have avoided their responsibility. Now, Let's talk about these Tekoites before we give them too bad of a wrap. It was a town about 11 miles from Jerusalem, 11 miles from where they're rebuilding. And while some of the people commuted to the job site, the nobles from Tekoa called in sick, essentially. It was too far. Actually, the text says that they refused to participate in the work of God because they didn't want to follow orders. Now, what can we take from that? They were too proud... Don't elbow or tap anyone next to you. We're not that kind of church. Let the Holy Spirit convict them. Okay? They were too proud to submit themselves to the supervisors of the job. You know anybody like that? Again, don't elbow, just think. It's a rhetorical question. No movement necessary. They were too important to get their hands dirty. The phrase would not put their shoulders to work suggests that it was pride more than anything else that kept them from pitching in. Pride more than anything else. Uh, Nehemiah uses in this, in, this, in this text, he uses, uh, 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 ag- I can't talk this morning, agricultural imagery that describes a stiff-necked ox who refuses to be yoked. Now, again, just want you to think about this. Anyone here today who refuses to roll up their sleeves and work? Feeling like you're too important to spend some time with a hurting person? To stop and listen for a few minutes to a need? Now, I know know I'm talking to, to, to a lot of folks in here that would jump to anything, jump at anything to serve those around you. But no doubt, in a, again, in a room like this, there are some like the nobles of, the, of Tekoa who just refuse to get involved for whatever reason. Again, some may feel like, hey, I've done that before. It's someone else's turn. Right? Some might say, I'm, I'm, I'm still new and I don't want to step on anybody's toes. <laughs> I, was, I was listening to a coach yesterday talk about this. He coaches a, a basketball team, a college basketball team, a, a, only the best in the country, the North Carolina Tar Heels. But anyway, I was listening to Hubert Davis, their coach, and he was talking about a new player that they've got in this year and, and how at the beginning of the season he was a little timid because he's a really good player, he's a really good shooter, but he came into a, a veteran group of people that had scored a lot of points last year and carried a big load last year. And he said, he said, I don't want to step on any toes by going and shooting and scoring 20 points a game. And Hubert Davis said in an interview uh, uh, before their game last night where they lost, but that's okay. We got to let other people win from time to time. <laughs> Hubert Davis looked back at him and he said, Pete, there are no toes. There are no toes. There are no toes. If, you're, if we're truly a team, there are no toes. Family, how many times have we said that, right? That I don't want to step on anybody's toes by going and serving here. I don't want to step on anybody's toes by going and doing here. 
as your pastor, I'm telling you, in the kingdom of God, if it, if it, if it is for a basketball team, it ought to be so for us who are called to love the Lord with God, our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and to love one another as ourselves. There can't be toes. There are no toes. There are no toes. And so whatever it may be that's holding you back from doing the work, may you see the glory of God as more important than other people's toes, your past, whatever the case may be, whatever's holding you back. Number four. Number four. Now, we see this in verse 5, we see it in verse 27. So we're bouncing around a little bit. Again, a lot of repetition in this chapter, but I do challenge you to go check it out. Next to them, the Tekoites, excuse me, repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Then skip down to verse 27. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. What does that show us? Some do more work. Some do more work. And you know what that tells me? It's okay. Listen, listen. In every church, in any project, there will always be some who are slack in their serving, but at the same time, there will always be those who do more than others. Whether it's the season of life, whether it's, whether it's their giftedness, everybody's plate's a different size, whatever the case may be, this isn't good or, or bad, it's just reality. And we see it right here in the text of Nehemiah chapter 3 that some finished their work and turned around and saw a gap in other work, and so they went and did more work. And it's okay. Refusing to follow the bad example of their leaders, the Tekoites, Went the extra mile. I picture them coming up to Nehemiah and telling him that they'd finished their job. And Nehemiah asking them if they want another section. And they said, bring it on. Where do you want us? What's next? We're in a groove. We're in a groove. The men of Benui did the same thing in verses 18 and 24. There's a tendency within most of us to finish the work we volunteered for and then to stop. Stretch our arms out and say, man, that was great to do the Lord's work, but I'm finished now. Not so with these. They knew that their kingdom work was never finished. And then lastly, the last thing I want to point out to you is this. Some work with passion. Look at verse 20. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. He repaired another section. And after him, right, and, and, and you just keep to see it. But in this chapter, there's only one guy who's mentioned who worked zealously. He zealously repaired. Zealously repaired, as, as other translations say. He zealously, zealously excuse me, repaired another section. And the Hebrew word zealous means to burn or to glow. And it suggests that Baruch... Burned a lot of energy. He was not just serving, he was on fire. And this is amazing because in chapter 4, verse 6, we read that the people worked with all of their heart. Everyone was working hard, but in a crowd of committed workers, Baruch stood out from the rest. 
We need people like Baruch. We need people like Baruch. Who will say, I don't really care what others are doing. I'm going to do my very best. Willing to go the extra mile. Burn with zeal and passion in service. Tired of just going through the motions. Ready to get fired up and work. Family. I want to be like Baruch. Where it can be said of me that I served zealously. I kicked it up a notch. And truth be told. Truth be told, this is not a, this is not, this is not trying to shame anyone in the room, but truth be told, and I think you would agree with me, most of us could do a lot more. With a lot more passion than we're doing right now. Most of us could do a lot more with a lot more passion than we're doing right now. So, If God's work is going to get done, we're called to cooperate with one another. Amen? Not compare, not criticize. It it, it moved me this week. You know, I was thinking, you know, just trying to picture myself, placing myself in one of these names, right? And thinking, what does it look like for me to be working on my portion of the wall? And, you know, I, I, I didn't see in here at all because I'm, I'm, I'm a, uh, some, some of you care about this. Some of you will think it's demonic, and that's okay. Um, I'm an Enneagram 3, which means I'm an achiever. I'm an accomplisher. I like to work and will win at all costs. And so I can picture myself on the wall, Fred. Right? I can picture myself on the wall trying to glance to my right, glance to my left, turn around and check. Somebody, because I'm trying to finish my portion of the wall first. I want to get it done First. Okay, I don't care about best. That's different Enneagram numbers. Okay, I'm trying to get done first. And so I might even cut a corner. I might even not put as much uh, effort. And I'm not saying that's good. That's just part of who I am. Don't judge me. Okay, but I don't see that in the text. What I see is people faithfully focused on the task in front of them. Trusting others to do the same. Faithfully doing the task in front of them. Trusting others to do the same. Worship team is going to come. Leaders must set the pace. God uses all kinds of people. Some aren't going to work. Some will do more work. Some will work with passion. Listen to this. Geese often cover thousands of miles before reaching their destination. And they can only get to where they're headed if they work together. Here's some facts. You ready? About their flight patterns. By flying as they do, the members of the flock create an upward air current for one another. By flying in a V formation, some of you may have learned about the V formation in the movie The Mighty Ducks. But that's a real thing, okay? Flying in a V formation, the whole flock gets 71% greater flying range than if each goose flew on its own. Isn't that interesting? 71% further than if they'd flown on their own just by flying in a V. When one goose gets sick or wounded... Two fall out of formation with it, 
and follow it down to help and protect it. They stay with the struggler until they're able to fly again. The geese and the rear of the formation are the ones who do the honking. It's their way of announcing that they're following and that everything's going well and to planned. The repeated honks encourage those in front to stay at it. And as I think about this, one lesson stands out above all the others. It's the natural instinct of the geese to work together. Everyone has to do their part if they want to get to where they're going. Whether it's flapping, helping, simply honking, the flock is in it together. Which enables them to accomplish what they set out to do. Which enables them to accomplish what they set out to do. Listen, fam. I talk about the geese at the end. Because if we are going to see the greater things we sing about, the best is yet to come. Let's fly as a flock. Let's fly as a flock. I say as your pastor to you in here this morning, you're not alone. You are loved. You are cared for. You are prayed for. Well, pastor, this is my first time. You were prayed for. We pray for everyone that would enter this room at least twice as a team before you enter this room. Once at about 7.45 and once at about 9.15. And we can't wait to see how God accomplishes His work through each and every one of us as we do our part. As we do our part for His glory and for the advance of His kingdom. Are you as excited as I am? Let's pray together. And so God, today, many things come to mind as we think about closing in prayer after this passage. First, for the one that is just about ready to give up on the corporate worship, may they see today that they are a geese that we need. That you need. That they have a place in your kingdom. That, that in your kingdom work, that, that we're not damaged, we're not too damaged, we're not too, we're not too broken to be used by you. God, I believe that's why you went through so much detail in your word. Why it's so long. Why there's so many stories. Because God, you show us repeatedly, broken person after broken person after broken person that you used for your glory and for your good. Even as I think about Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, each one of those had a place where in our eyes they wouldn't have measured up probably wouldn't have even been placed on our leadership teams today. But they're in your word that by faith you worked a miracle through them. And I believe in this room there are countless miracles 
that you can't wait to work in our lives. That you can't wait to do through us. So may we not sit back and think we're too broken. May we not sit back and think, oh, God's going to use that person for great things. But God, may we get zealous for what you want to do in us. May we get zealous and passionate and even a little selfish about about the work that you want to do in our heart because you love us that much. You sent your son to die that you could do a work in our lives. And so God, we're not quitting. We're not giving up. We're pressing on. And we can't wait to see what you've got. It's just the beginning. As a church, I believe that. For me, I believe that. For my family, I believe that. For the families that I look out and see in this room, I believe that. It's not a false thing. It's not something I'm just saying this morning to try to pet people up. I believe that you are a man of your word. And so God, may we take cues from the people in Nehemiah chapter 3. God, help us not to be frustrated with the people that just aren't going to work. Help us to be okay with the people that are going to do a little bit more work. Help us all to work with greater passion. God is a leader. And I'm not by myself, but may our elders, our executive team, other folks, may we lead by example. Our staff, may we lead by example. With passion. Pursuing your glory in this place. That your name be made famous. That your kingdom be advanced among us. Remind us of our why today. Your glory. We read about it this past week. Moses on the mountain with you. God, I'm committed, but I need to see your glory. Show us your glory today, Father. Show us your goodness, your greatness in this place today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.